Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. We are right in a series, one of my favorite series that we do, and we do this series every year where we talk about uh, something that is near and dear to all of our hearts that we all love is money. Look at your neighbor and say money. Uh, the series this year, I felt to kind of take it a, a direction, uh, calling it blessed to be a blessing. Sometimes we equate the level of God's blessing in our lives to how big our bank account is. And that's not the case. God's, that, that's, that's the craziest lie. One of the craziest lies the devil brings on people is to reduce the majesty and the glory and the, the fullness and the abundance of what God's blessing actually is down to something as, as trivial as money. Money comes, money goes, it always will. But, man, when the blessing of God is on your life, woo, you better look out. Everything is going to change. Everything's going to get better. And you, you just can't help it because the blessing of God is on your life. See, uh, we define the blessing of God this way, is that it's God's supernatural power working in your life on this earth. It's supernatural power. So it's not just when I'm blessed, it's not just I have more money. It's not just things that always go right for me. It's not just I get what I want whenever I want. God's not a slot machine. He's not genie from Aladdin. No, he is the creator of heaven and earth, the possessor of heaven and earth. And he chooses, I don't know why, but he chooses to bless his people. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't have to, but he does. And he wants to bless us so much that he put it into the word and made it principles so that not only would he bless us, but we could unlock more of his blessings. We studied it in the first week, kind of talking about this whole idea that the Bible says that in Christ, God has blessed you abundantly. So if all you have is Jesus, you are blessed. And can I tell you, if you are living in America, you are blessed. I know some are watching all around the states. Some are watching, you know, on Grace Television, and you are blessed. Come on. We are blessed. We have abundance. You know, like if you make, the statistics say if you make over $50,000 combined household income, you're in the top 1% wage earners in the world. And then we complain about how we're not blessed. We didn't get the new iPhone 14. We had a 13. And, uh, you know, like, like I get it. I get it. It's great to have all that stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with having all that stuff. It's just that so often, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, uh, that just things just can get skewed so easily. My heart can just so quietly, gradually shift that if I'm not careful, all of a sudden I'm not living for the purposes of God. I've allowed other things to take root in my heart, and then I've got to go back and pull those weeds up. Anybody else? It's like your driveway or your walkway to your house, you'll go out there and you'll spray Roundup or maybe you're a little old school and you don't like the chemicals and you'll, you'll pull up the weeds and then you'll be walking by three days later and there's like eight more weeds where you pulled out one. <laughs> be like, Lord, I know there's a lesson, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> That's just the way a heart is sometimes because there's just, Jesus said it would be the cares of this life would try to overwhelm us. And if we're not careful to continually be in this place where we recognize, God, you've blessed me, not for myself, but to distribute your blessing, then, man, it's just so easy that those weeds would get out of control. As Marsha was talking about Amazon, I was thinking about, aren't you glad that when you order something on Amazon, there is a distribution center that is sending the gifts out from wherever they're coming from. You don't know the source, but it just magically shows up at your house. What if the distribution center decided just to keep all those gifts in there? Well, you wouldn't get your gift. You'd ask for a refund, and you'd be kind of upset. You'd shop somewhere else. And before long, that distribution center would run out of places to store all those packages it was keeping. And before long, they would have to build a bigger distribution center to keep it, and it would just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And by and large, the church on the earth, right, has gotten just bigger and bigger and bloated and bloated and bloated because it's kept everything for itself. There's a study that shows that 9% 9% of Christians in this country are givers. 
And then we sit back and we wonder, well, why can't the church just get it together and get some, you know, why can't they do this or why, why isn't this happening? Why isn't the, you know, why don't we have our own building yet? Listen, we have a vision for a building, but I'm not going to put a, a jeopardize our future just by making some crazy decisions just because we want to have it. No, we're going to move the vision at the pace of our involvement, our serving, and our giving. 9% of Christians in our country, and then the, the tragedy of that is what is the mandate on the church? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all people. So then when 9% of people believe that enough to put some skin in the game, no wonder it's taking a little longer. Maybe no wonder it's a little bit slower. The tragedy is not that the 91% aren't giving. The tragedy is they don't care enough about the lost people to actually do what Jesus said and advance his vision. To be part of the one thing that Jesus said he would build on the earth. Is this too much today? Okay, come on. We're blessed to be a blessing. So today I want to share this word, lifestyles of the blessed and generous. How many watch that show? <laughs> How many used to watch that show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? And I believe that most people are, there's this tension, right? Especially in Christians, there's this tension like we want to be generous. We want to just like, okay, pastor, I'm going to sell it all, right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wear just old clothes and I'll never have anything and it's fine. And then we also swing to the other side of the tension where we want to live. We want to be featured on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know what I'm talking about? I've seen y'all out there shining your car with that spit wax, you know, <laughs> trying to shine it up. And, you know, like, like, we, like there's that tension between the two. And listen, God doesn't want to remove goodness from your life. God is the one who wants to add it to your life. God is a good God. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights from above. That God's will is that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That God said he would bless you abundantly. Like God is in the business of increasing his people. Why? So that when the increase comes, then they know how to increase his kingdom on the earth. Because when his kingdom increases on the earth, that means people are being pulled out of darkness and into light. That means that people are being pulled out of the kingdom of hell and being brought into a sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. That is the mandate on the church. And so when we refuse to be part of it in our giving and advancing the vision, then bummer for all the lost people. Bummer for all the people who are broken. Bummer for all the marriages in Avalon Park that are falling apart. When God has planted us and put us in, y'all realize our church is in the number one location in all of Avalon Park? Everybody knows where we at. You just say Timber Creek. You don't need to tell them the address. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know where that is. Come on. God has called us to live the lifestyles of the blessed and the generous. Remember, a blessed life is a life that blesses. This is a the principle all throughout Scripture that God wants us to, to grab a hold of, that if God can get it through our lives, blessings flow through us, then you can guarantee there will be more blessings on the way. You cannot outgive God. It's just that so often we start, we, we, we want to we get a little sticky fingers, keep things to ourselves. Sticky fingers are good if you're a wide receiver playing football, you know, so you can hold on to that. Just don't get caught because I'm not sure if that's illegal or not, but it probably is. The question for us is, are we living this life for this life, or are we living it for eternity? Let's get real practical. Is, is your car for this life, or is your car for eternity? Is your time for this life, or is your time for eternity? What about your money? Is it for this life, or is your money about eternity? I would just encourage you with this thought right here. If you miss everything else, get this thought. Everything in our lives is not about this life. You are here for just a moment, and then you will be in eternity with no end. I love what Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says. This is the Passion Translation. It uh, gives us such a clear picture of what the blessing of God does in a person's life. It says, those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. And the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. 
I love that verse because I don't know about y'all, but that's the place I want to be with favor, with blessings heaped upon me. But do you notice the, the part that is contingent upon us? It's not, it doesn't say that God will make you pour your life out or that God will make you give poor blessings out. No, he says the person who makes the conscious decision to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. The one who pours his life out will be have favor saturated. I wonder, when was the last time we poured our lives out? Think about when you pour a bottle of water out, when it's emptied. Like, when was the last time we poured our life out to bring blessing on somebody else? It's really the heart condition that we have. So I want to give us four key characteristics that we can start to incorporate into our lives to begin to live the lifestyles of the blessed and generous. Here's the, the first characteristic that the blessed and generous live with is they know who the owner is. They know who the owner is. The truth is our view of ownership determines our priorities about everything. The way we view ownership of something determines our level of generosity. Now, this is not just a money principle. This is a life principle. In other words, if I view my life as mine, this is like my breath, my body, like my body, then I will do what I want. I will say what I want. I will go where I want. I will do what I want with whomever I want, whenever I want, because it is my life. But when I begin to understand that it's not my life, that my life belongs to Jesus, you were bought at a price, you are not yours, you belong to him, then I begin to make choices differently. Then my choices have to begin to understand, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to speak? Where do you want me to go? Like, it just changes our view of ownership, changes our view of everything. It, it, in fact, I would even say our view of ownership determines my posture of obedience. Because when God says something to us, when God's word brings correction to our lives, uh, you know, about maybe the way we talk or a relationship we have or something we've been thinking about and God's word brings correction to us, if I view my life as mine, then I don't need to listen. That's optional. That's not really my truth. But when I view my life as his, then when his word brings correction, my it might hurt because correction always, you know, there, there's that moment. It hurts because I'm crucifying my flesh. But then I'm able to say, okay, God, have your will in my life. It changes everything, our view of ownership. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 really gives us this clear picture of what's happening. It's kind of like a behind-the-scenes look of what's happening in the moment when a person receives Jesus. Uh, I encourage you this week to read the whole chapter. I preach this chapter frequently, but I believe it's, it's so important for us to understand who we are in Christ. Because I've seen so many Christians living their, their, their entire Christian life still associating who they are to whatever they were before Jesus. But that's not who you are. Scripture says, we're going to read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone. That means anyone. In case you're wondering, the Hebrew word means anyone. That means the person who's strung out on drugs. The person in jail who committed murder, the person who, right, cussed you out, cut you off in traffic, that person in your family or whatever, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the spiritual life into their spirit. The old is gone, the new is here. Skip down to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So here we have the mandate again. Our lives are not just about, hey, have a great career, save some money, and just do anything you want. No, our lives are about being an ambassador for Christ to cause people to be reconciled, brought back to God. Question, rhetorical, you don't have to answer it. When was the last time in your life you brought somebody back to God? If you're not bringing somebody back to God, then you haven't started living for your purpose yet. This is our purpose. When you come into Christ, he makes all things new and then commissions you as an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? We understand that we have ambassadors from the United States that live in other countries. So an ambassador goes to a foreign land, 
lives in that place to be a representative of where he's from, of the cultures, of the mindset, of the beliefs, of the laws and the principles of the land that he's from, while he's living as a representative to those around him that don't understand his culture and his beliefs. And he, while he's there, he's that representative. This is the picture Christ has given us, that we are representatives, ambassadors on loan from heaven here on this earth to help people understand how good God is, to help people understand the principles of salvation and forgiveness and generosity and all these things. This is who Christ has called us to be. So then my lifestyle, when I understand who the owner is, my life, then it's not a struggle to live my life as an ambassador. It's not a struggle then to live my life to be centered around helping people be reconciled to God. Whether I work, in, you know, at Starbucks or whether I work at Walmart or Target or whether I work for the airline or wherever you work, you are an ambassador. It's not about leaving your life and just like, well, I guess I'm going to be, you know, uh, i got to wear a collar to be an No, no, no. You are an ambassador everywhere you go in the field that God has put you in. You are anointed and called for that thing, right? But it's just this realization that my life, my career is not even my own, right? That everything belongs to God. Um, Psalms chapter 50, verse 10, defines it this way. The Lord is speaking to his people, and he says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot of New York strip steak. I'd, I'd be okay if the Lord sold a few of those cattle and just like, wouldn't that be awesome? Just like beam me down some New York strip steak. Praise the Lord. He says, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. That's a little like, oh, isn't it? Like a little like, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Why? Because he doesn't need to ask you to help him with anything. And that's why so many, like it's so crazy to think when people are like, the church just wants my money. As if God needs something from you to keep the lights on. No, it's all his anyways. And if you're an unwilling participant, there are, he will move on somebody else's heart who will be a willing participant. And then their life will be more blessed, more anointed, and he'll flow more through them. And you'll be over there looking at them with jealousy when, in fact, God came to you first. I remember um, I, I went to school, uh, college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at a school called Oral Roberts University. And uh, I remember... Uh, uh, or, uh, President Oral Roberts, we called him president back then. He's not anymore. He's gone to heaven. Uh, but uh, Oral would used to tell the story about when the university began. And he said, uh, one day, you know, God came to him and said, Oral, I want you to start a university. I want you to build it on my authority. And I want you to raise your students to take my light where my light is dim. And he did that. Uh, the school is there. And they've raised up and sent uh, students out, not only just graduates, but have literally gone to every nation of the world preaching the gospel of Jesus. And one day he, he uh, was praying and he said, Lord, why, why did you ask me? See, Oral didn't come from uh, education. He didn't have a college degree. He didn't know what he was doing. And he had no money. Uh, if you're going to start a, a school of any kind, you probably need some money. He had nothing. And so he said, Lord, why, why did you ask me? He said, the Lord told me, he said, I went to seven other people first, more qualified and had more money than you. And they all said, no, you're the first one to say yes. I wonder if God is just looking for some people with just some simple yes obedience. In the face of God, that's crazy. You want me to build a what? A university? I can't even spell university. You know what? If God brings it to you, gives you the vision, gives you the passion, gives you the heart, if you will step out in obedience, he will bring the resource that you need. Everything is his. So, listen, you can work for it. You can earn it. You can put it in the bank. You can save it. Your name can be on the deed or on the title. But understand, it all belongs to him. It all is his. That's how when God, you know, you shift into being a joyful giver versus a grieving giver. A grieving giver is like, oh, this hurts to give. I just, I'm probably not going to have anything now. Or a joyful giver is like, man, this is the best time. I love to give. Joyful givers understand that God is the owner. And as I release things, man, it's okay because God's just, he, he's going to take care of me. I am not worried about it. I can be joyful about giving. It changes the posture of our hearts, right? It brings excitement. It brings joy. And honestly, the greatest way you can live in this life is to experience all the goodness that God has, wonderful things that God will bring into your life, and just not be tied down by owning any of it. Come on. Isn't that good? 
Here's the second lifestyle of the blessed and generous is that God gets the first. Those that live this lifestyle of being blessed and generous understand this principle, the principle of first, that God gets the first. And we take this test, the test of what's first in our lives, every time a resource comes into our life, every time money comes into our lives, every time something comes into our life, every morning when you take that breath, let's do it all together. Okay, let it out. We don't need anybody passing out in church. Every time you take that breath, every step you take, every time you love your family, every time something comes into your hands, you are facing the test of the first, the priority test, determining the ownership and, and the, who is the provider in your life. It's like, who are you going to thank with the first for the increase in your life? Who are you going to thank? Come on, some of us thank Jesus. Some people thank Visa. Some people thank the mortgage company. Some people thank Hulu and Disney or Netflix, Starbucks. That's who they're thanking with the increase that comes into your lives. But can I just tell you something just blunt as I know how? Like, it's great. I, like, I don't, like, have all the subscriptions. Go to Starbucks. Great. But listen, don't give them the first because Starbucks and Disney and Apple and all that, they, they don't have the power to bless you. Oh, God does. God has the power to increase your life. This is scriptural, spiritual principle that what you give the first to shows its level of priority in your life. Shows its level of priority in your life. I brought these apples today. Anybody like apples? Um, I, need, I need a friend. Um, Edwin, can you come help me for a minute? This is my friend Edwin. Give a big hand for my friend Edwin. I brought two apples. How many know what's the best bite of the apple? First bite. Do you like apples? You do? I'm going to give you an apple. It's going to be all yours. Just give me a second. This is a lot of bites. You feeling special still? No? Don't worry. I got a good bite for you. This is a good apple. I mean, I just love this. I can eat this all day. There you go. That's for you. Isn't that great? See how generous I am? I mean, I just... Now tell me this. Do you feel like... Do you want to eat that? Not really. No, why not? It's, it's an apple. It's an apple. It is a good apple. It's sweet. Tastes great. Like you're barely touching it. What's wrong? <laughs> It's all chewed up. Now let me ask you this. Do you want this apple or that apple? This one? Why? Because it's not chewed up. Because <laughs> it's not chewed up. See, now you feel special, right? Yes. Feel a little more important than this apple. Like, this apple shows no care for him. It shows no level of priority for him. It doesn't let him know how much I'm thankful for him, how much I love him, nothing. It just shows him that I didn't really care about his needs or anything about him. But now this apple, like, this is still my apple, and I really want to take a bite out of it, but I'm going to give it to you instead because I, I value you. Come on, give it up for my friend Edwin. Isn't he awesome? You can take that with you. That's for you. See, the first, <laughs> that was the best bite, wasn't it? The first is the best bite. Come on. What I give the first to displays the level of importance, the level of value, the level of my affection and my love in my life. Let me show you this in Scripture so you don't have to take me and Edwin's word for it. Uh, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Let's start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. This is the first recorded time in the Bible we see someone bringing some physical thing in worship to God. Right? Uh, uh, so here we see two brothers. This is Cain and Abel. They were the sons of Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve were created. God put them in the garden. The serpent came, deceived them. They sinned. God kicked them out of the garden. Then they started having babies. Let's go. Uh, Cain and Abel were two of their sons, and here we see them. Verse 3, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So make note of these two gifts that are brought. 
The one that Cain brought, he brought some of his crops. No mention of the best, no mention of the first, just some. Verse 4, Abel, his brother, also brought a gift. The best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift, but did not accept Cain in his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. As a joyful giver and a grieving giver. They both brought something to the Lord to worship, but God didn't accept both. And I wonder sometimes, how do I say this, Lord? Why some people sit back and are like, well, I gave and God didn't bless me. You probably didn't give him your first and the best. And so God did not accept it. This is the God who does not change. This is not about the law or about grace. This is 2,500 years before the law. This is people just living, coming to worship to God. And God did not accept, did not receive a second place leftover gift from someone who was coming to worship. But he did receive the gift, the offering of the one who was coming with the first and the best of what he had. See, in this day and time, they did not bring, like, if you had ten lambs, you brought one. This was like if you, the, the first of every lambs. It didn't matter how many you had. When a lamb or an animal had uh, offspring, the first one was always brought as worship to God. It was the principle of the first, and God is putting it in Scripture so that we would see it. Why, is, why would God set this uh, first? I believe one reason would be because it requires faith to give the first. It doesn't require faith to give the tenth. Anybody can do that. But it requires faith to say, God, the first is actually yours, and I will bring it back to you. I don't know about you. I don't have lambs or sheep. Uh, I don't have crops in my backyard. Uh, maybe you grow things in your yard or whatever, but I work. I have income. Come on, anybody else? I have, I have areas in my life that are increasing. Most of us likely do where there's areas where we're experiencing increase. And the question is, what are we bringing to God in worship? Are we just bringing him something, or are we bringing him the first and the best? I believe one of the reasons why God uh, wouldn't accept Cain's offering is that he couldn't. Cain was expecting God to operate out of his nature, out of his character. You see, somebody's nature, their character defines who they are, and there are some things that God cannot do. Right? Let me share a few of these with you so you understand. Uh, one of the things that God can't do is God cannot change. Um, this is the doctrinal word for this, a theology fancy word for God cannot change is immutability. The immutability of God. He cannot change. I believe the reason for this is because if God could change, that could mean he could get better. But he cannot get better. He is perfect. He, he's not improving and, and whatever. No, he is perfect. He's not getting better. He cannot change. Another thing that God cannot do is God cannot think the way that we think. Now, Scripture talks about all the places where God's thoughts and how God thinks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But God does not think the way that we think. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways. Your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So when was the last time you touched a cloud? Come on, it's high. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts? So the theological word for this that God doesn't think the way that we do is omniscience. God is all-knowing. God knows everything about everything all the time. Uh, let me say it a little more. Let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You know, God, God doesn't have, like, wake up and something occurs to him. You know what I just thought of? <laughs> no, God already knows everything. He, like, we think to figure things out. God is need, doesn't need to figure things out. He already knows it all. God doesn't think the way that we think. Here's another one. God cannot be second. He cannot be second. Fancy theological word here is preeminence, the preeminence of God. Eminence, you know, in our world would be like a position of superiority. And here we see God as preeminent. That means he is before all. He is above all. He is a, a first in everything, so much so that he expressed it in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So God is first. But can I tell you a deeper truth than just that God is first? Like, of course God should be first in our lives. We know that you expect the preacher to tell you that God should be first. But listen, 
here's the deeper truth to that. Even if a person does not make God first in their lives, he's still first. Our decisions on where to place God in priority in our lives does nothing to rearrange his order in the universe. He is first. He is above all, and he created all, and everything exists for him, by him, and through him. So here we see Cain in Genesis expecting God to act out of his nature to receive a second place leftover offering. You know how many of you know God doesn't like leftovers? I love leftovers. One of my favorite Thanksgiving things is, of course, Thanksgiving Day is great, but Friday is a cold turkey sandwich, baby. Let's go. Some bread, some mayonnaise, some turkey, some pickles. And t- oh, Jesus is Lord. I will, eat, I will eat leftovers, but God does not receive leftovers. And some of us have been trying to honor God with leftovers and wondering why he hasn't received it. And I'm not trying to be spicy or any other, if be any kind of way, but if a person can, can say it all day long, God is first in my life, God is first in my life, but listen, if he's not first in this area, he's really not first. He's just scripture. The first belongs to God. Let me show you a couple other places. Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. This is right before the 10th plague of Egypt. So the Israelites are in in slavery in Egypt. Moses is just about to lead them out of bondage. And the Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to who? To him, whether human or animal. Ten chapters later, Exodus 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So we're meant to not just bring our best anywhere. No, we're meant to bring it into the house. Interesting how he says bring and not give. Why doesn't he say give your best to God? Well, because the first is not yours. You can't give something that's not yours. You can only bring it back to the person. If I was to ask Edwin to hold my iPad, well, I'm not going to ask him to get up one more time. If I asked him to hold my iPad, and then a few minutes later I said, can I have that back, would he be giving it to me, or would he just be bringing it back? He would be bringing it back because it's not his, it's mine. He's not giving something that's not his. Right? The first belongs to God. So we see 2,500 years before the, the law, we see uh, God receive a first place best offering, but not receive the second place leftover offering. Then again, we see it when Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land, the same principle. The first city they conquered in the promised land, the name was Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 9, God told the people, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now, why did God say everything? I thought it was just the first. Well, it's real simple. Jericho was the first city in the new land. He said, everything from Jericho is mine. The rest is yours. The principle of the first. Remember, right after they defeat Jericho, what happened? There was a guy named Achan who didn't obey. He kept some of the first for himself. Then when they went to fight the next town, a city called Ai, which was a very small town, not equipped, no military, they were, the Israelites were actually destroyed and ran off. Why? Because they had kept for themselves something that had belonged to God, and God no longer had blessed them. He had moved away from them, and they were experiencing the curse. Because they had kept for themselves what actually belonged to God. Here's the third lifestyle of the blessed and generous is they tithe. They tithe. The blessed and the generous tithe. I'm going to ask my friends Tom and Angie to come up here. And uh, uh, they have an amazing testimony I want them to share with you guys today. It's just so interesting to see people's perspective on tithing. Right? Uh, so many people have a negative, sometimes optional view of what the tithe is. I believe it's because they don't understand the principle of tithing. But and, and can I just tell you this right off the bat? If you're not tithing, you're not a bad person. Okay? So that's what we're talking about it today because sometimes we, we just need to be taught some things and learn some things. Tom, Angie, I'm so thankful for you guys. And uh, tell us your story about, about tithing and giving in your life. Good morning, uh, Victory Church. How are you today? Good? Great. We have, uh, everyone have an amazing uh, Thanksgiving, Uh, a lot of food, friends around, uh, uh, family. Um, 
I had the opportunity to went with my husband Thursday to see the boys uh, playing uh, football. That was a great time. They are really, really competitive uh, people. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the game finished, uh, ends in a um, friendly uh, competition, <laughs> can you say that? Um, also, I'm sorry for my uh, accent. I have a Colombian accent, very yeah, strong. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so here we are. Um, we are a family of four. Uh, my husband, Thomas, my son, Thomas V, and uh, uh, my daughter, uh, she's in the classroom, five years old. And uh, we are a very blessed uh, family. And um, it's a it's a big bless to be a blessing too, to be able to give back to church, to give back to people that need to, to family, to, to give. It's, it's, it's such an amazing um, uh, thing to do in this world. Um, yes, yeah, so here's my husband. Great, great. So, yeah, I'll share my testimony a little bit, but first I want to just go through a scripture which really kind of paints a picture um, that what we have is, is not ours and we're just stewards of God's money. So it's First Chronicles 29, 12 through 14. It says, Wealth and honor come from you, God. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And then it continues on to say, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And the final sentence is really strong. It says, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So, you know, that visual, um, how I look at it is, of course, God's hand is out, and everything that comes into our lives, not just, you know, finances, but Every blessing we have from our family to everything is, you know, being held in God's hand, and we're just stewards of that. So in the concept of finances and our tithes, it's, it's amazing that he holds everything right there in his hands for us, and all he asks is for us to go back and grab the tithe, 10%, and bring it back through to our church. And it's just amazing to think of it as just a tenth um, and how good and pure our God is that that's all he asks of us. Um, because it's really not, you know, much compared to you know, the blessings we receive from him, of course. So, um, you know, my wife and I, we have been, you know, faithful tithers uh, before coming to Victory Church. We've only been here five or six months, I would say. But we didn't always tithe, and I do remember um, we'd, we'd always give what we thought was generous. Um, but as your faith grows and you start to lean deeper into God's word, you do start to understand in order to receive the, the full blessings um, that God has for your life, you have to do what he asks us to do. So regarding giving, you know, the bare minimum requirement that God asks of us is, is our tithe. And once you realize a tithe is a tenth, it's a very simple equation. Uh, it's not complicated, but it doesn't mean it's not difficult, right? Um, so um, our last church, we did something called the 90-day tithing challenge where if you weren't a faithful tither, you could commit to tithing for 90 days to kind of test out the waters, so to speak, see how God would respond in your lives. So, you know, my wife and I committed to this, and you know, over that 90-day period, we grew in our faith, you know, we trusted the promises of God, and we experienced so much breakthrough in our personal lives, you know, great opportunities presented themselves in our business um, that were completely out of our control. So, you know, which some could consider not seeing, you know, God's blessings, lucky or good timing to, you know, be where we were. But, you know, my wife and I, we, we knew it was God's timing. It wasn't good timing. Um, so, you know, long story short, my wife and I, we've, we've never looked back, and we've been faithful tithers ever since. You know, God has continued to pour out blessings in our lives, um, and, you know, he's promised this in our, his word. So it's, it's amazing, and I appreciate the opportunity to be up here. I thank Pastor Chris, Pastor Heather, and, you know, everybody here listening to us because it's amazing to, you know, be given this opportunity. So thank you. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Thank you, buddy. You guys are awesome. We love you guys. And Thomas V, you got a preacher right there. 
I love it. Come on. Hey, you know, um, if the church ever doesn't have kids' voices in it, we got a problem. And so just so you know, I never have a problem with hearing the kids shouting, giving their praise to God, you know. Uh, so um, if anybody ever gives you the evil eye about it, you let me know. We'll take care of it. Uh, but I just got to say that sometimes because we got to have vision that the church should be about raising up the next generation. We rise by lifting others. And so I'm so thankful. Thank you guys so much for sharing your testimony. It, it's amazing what happens when you begin to tithe and you begin to put God this way. And I know there's a religious spirit that tries to creep in and get Christians arguing about the minutia of that's Old Testament, I'm New Testament, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, and blah, blah, blah. And I just find that people argue about that because, A, they have the pride in their heart has caused them not to see how good God is and because they really don't want to give anything. And so we're not those people. There might be people like that, but not in this house. We are those who live the lifestyles of the blessed and the generous. Listen, Tom was so right. He's saying God only asks us a very little bit. But listen, the whole thing, the whole book, the whole point of God in our lives is about giving. So why would we block ourselves off from the main point of what we're called to do? Our, call, our lives are called to be generous, right? Many times people will interchange the word tithing for giving, and I think that's just because we don't really have a full understanding of what tithing and giving really is. It sounds like when we say, oh, I tithe a little bit here and there whenever I want to, or uh, I'll tithe a little bit when I give, uh, have a little extra, or I'll give my tithes today. Um, the, the word tithe, it comes from the Hebrew word maha aser. And I don't know if my Hebrew pronunciation is correct. I tried my best. But that's the Hebrew word, and it literally translates meaning first tenth. So it's a, it's a Bible word, not preachers or churches that came up with the tenth, the ten percent. It's a Bible word, tenth, maha aser, that means the tithe. I would define tithing this way. Tithing is returning the first ten percent that God entrusts us with to him through his church. That's the tithe. Tithing is not giving because it doesn't belong to you. The tithe, the first, belongs to him. And when people argue about tithing, sometimes I wonder, like, what is the spirit behind this? Why would a person argue about tithing? Why would a person argue about giving, uh, returning something to God that is already his when God has given us everything? Why would we argue about this when God has brought us out of sin and set us free and redeemed us? Like, uh, like, I understand, like, the things out there. Listen, and I agree. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Like, that, there, there's that people use that as their argument. But at the same time, if we're going to make that argument and say, well, tithing is just gone because it was included in the law, well, then murder, adultery, jealousy, and all those things should be gone, too. But if you think you can murder somebody and covet somebody's wife and, have, and commit adultery and not affect your life in a spiritual and practical way, that person will be greatly deceived. Those things were wrong before the law came. And they're still wrong, just like tithing was still a thing before the law came, as it is still, there is still tithing today for those who choose to live that way. Let me say it this way. If you think you can take something that belongs to God and it not affect you, that's a problem. There's deception there. That's why I believe God brought us here in this place today. So let me give you, <coughs> excuse me, let me give us a few places throughout the scripture where we see the tithe so we have a more complete picture of understanding that the tithe is not just a law or whatever. That is actually something that exists throughout everything and is for us today. So we, we read the one story, 2,500 years before the law, Cain and Abel. Cain brought just some random gift that he had. Abel brought the first, the best. He brought the tithe to the Lord. Then we see, again, 500 years before the law, Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of our faith. Gen uh, Galatians chapter 3 calls Abraham our spiritual father. We see this the first time Abraham brings a tithe, the story is in Genesis chapter 14. But it's also the same story is written about in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. It says this, it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the Most High. So some people believe that this person, Melchizedek, that came to Abram, uh, Abraham, they, some people, theologians will say this was actually Jesus, Others will say he is a, a type of Jesus. Uh, 
I don't know for certain. I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to argue about all that. So whether it was Jesus or a type of Jesus, this person Melchizedek comes. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a what? A tenth of everything. So Abraham goes into battle, wins. He brings back all the the plunder, all the spoil from his enemy. And as he's traveling back home, Melchizedek, either Jesus or a type of Jesus, comes to him, blesses him. God blesses us. Are you seeing the, the parallel? Abraham then gives Melchizedek a tithe of everything, of everything from the blessing he received and everything from the spoils that he won in battle. He gives a tithe to Melchizedek. You go on and and read in Hebrews chapter uh, 7, and it talks about how uh, on earth our tithes are given, like we're people. Like you give your, you're not giving it to me, right? But there are people that when you give your tithe that do all the things of putting it in the bank account and and, and paying the bills and investing in missions and all the right. There's people involved in the earthly process. So he says on earth there's people involved in the process, but he says in heaven There's an equal process. So our giving is being duplicated here and in heaven. And he says, in heaven, the angels receive it as worship to the Father. Woo. So Abraham, our spiritual father, 500 years before the law, uh, gives a tithe to a type of Christ. Then we see Genesis chapter 28, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? After he had a vision of the, the stairs leading to heaven, he's out sleeping, and he has this vision where God shows him angels coming up and down this, this stairway to heaven, and, and he says in that place, this is an amazing place, and God reaffirms his covenant with Jacob in that place to say, I will give you this land, I will bless you, you will be a blessing, and so Jacob sets up a, a, a memorial, a place of worship, he calls it Bethel, the house of God. And he says, in this place, I will give you a tithe. So our tithe is in the house 400 years before the law. Then Leviticus 27, verse 30. Here's the one definition of tithe and the law. We know it's already existed, but he's defining it. He says a tithe belongs to who? It's open book test. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It is set apart and holy. That's why we say the tithe is not giving. It's returning because it belongs to him. Uh, Fast forward to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. This is probably the most famous passage of Scripture about tithing right here. Um, And God calls it stealing when people don't return the tithe. Strong language. But I I don't know about you. I don't want to be in the place where God is looking at me like a thief. And and I've had conversations uh, with God about this this chapter, Malachi chapter 3, because it's like, God, couldn't we have waited like two chapters? Because you have Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 4, New Testament. <laughs> God, couldn't you have waited to put it in this? And what he reminded me, he said, it didn't need to be waited. It's, it's all throughout everything. It's for then, it's for now, it's for the future. Like this is part of, this is part of normal behavior for a Christian. Is tithing. And so when you read Malachi, it's really about returning to God. The whole book is about a people who have gotten far away from God. Their hearts have gone away for other things, the cares of this life, worshiping idols, and God is calling the people back. Come back to me. Get back to me. He says this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, return to me, and I will return to you. Sounds a little bit like James when he says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Right? But you ask, how are we to return? So God is kind of sh- like he's having a, a dialogue between the people. He's saying, return to me, I'll return to you. But how are we supposed to return to you? And here's God's answer about returning to him. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, God, I haven't been to heaven. Uh, how am I robbing you? Uh, he says, in tithes and offerings. Strong language. Remember, the tithe is his. He says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord. This is the one place in Scripture, we've heard it before, where God says, test me. And this word, test me, is how they would test metal to see if it was pure. They would melt it down to see the quality of the metal. And all of the impurities would would be burned off, and, and you would see a pure 
quality metal. And God, that's the picture here. God is saying, test me in this. Put it to the test. Melt it down and see if my word is pure or not. He says, test me when you bring the tithe into the house and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. That's a great promise. Come on, anybody want that? Like, if that's all there was... That would be great. But he goes on. He says, I will also prevent pests from devouring your crops. There's another place in Scripture where he says, you put money into your pockets, but your pockets have holes in them. And you ever felt like that? Like, where does it all go? Pests destroying your crops. You don't have crops, but you have income coming in. You have food coming in. He says, and the vines in your field? will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. One translation says, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. See, this is the picture of how God wants to multiply our lives when we return the tithe to him. And then people say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. We are New Testament. Great. Let's look at New Testament. Mark chapter 10. The rich, rich young ruler is what he's called. He was a young person, a young adult, college age person, comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question to ask. Jesus said, okay, he lists off uh, uh, several of the Ten Commandments. You must do these things. And the guy is like, score. I've done all of that since I was little. I checked all the boxes. Thank you so much. I am good. Jesus says, you're missing one thing. Sell 10% of what you have and give it to the poor. Come on, don't let me get away with this. It's right up there. What does he say? He says, sell all you have and give to the poor. See, that's what people don't understand when they want to argue Old Testament, New Testament. The tithe is 10%, but New Testament, like, Emerald stole his, bam, kick it up a notch from the New Testament. Like, the New Testament kicks everything up a notch. Love your neighbor as yourself. When somebody steals from you, give them some more. Like, turn the other cheek. When some, you know, like, give everything. Sell all you have and give to the poor. Then you can inherit eternal life. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus speaking again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint and your dill and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters. Somebody is like, that's right, but you've neglected the things that matter. That's not, doesn't matter. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See, we don't have to tie. Like, you should have practiced the latter. That's the, the justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former. It's not either or, it's both and. We should be tithers. We should be givers. And we should be merciful. We should have justice. And we should be faithful people. Jesus, why didn't Jesus just say you don't need to tithe anymore because you're not under the law. You're under grace. He didn't say that. He said you should continue this. You should do both. But you should do more because now you've received mercy and the merciful give mercy. Other, other times people will say things about the tithe like, well, my tithe is really my time. I'm like, okay, I believe there is a, there's a, we can give our time, we can tithe our time, but we got to remember if we're going to say my tithe is my time, I have yet to find a scripture in the Bible that says you should only tithe your time. You find one, let me know. Let's sit down. We'll do coffee. I'll buy. You know, like, no, tithing is always about our income, our resources, our money, right? You can tithe your time, and I believe God will bless you the same as what he blesses all the other areas. And just remember, like, there's 168 hours in a week. So a tithe would be almost 17 hours. And praise the Lord. Like, we need some staff at the church. And so if you're ready to tithe, like, you can laugh. Like, it's serious. Like, some people will say, like, I want to tithe my time. Great, because that will help us not to have to hire another person. You can come work a part-time, and we're going to advance the vision. We can do some things with some people who want to tithe their time. And so if that's something God has put on your heart, let's go. Come find me after service. We'll get you going. Come on, praise the Lord. I find that generally when people are arguing about giving or tithing, it's just because they don't want to tithe at all. They don't want to do anything at all. And, hey, cool, if you don't want to tithe, it's up to you. I'm not here to convince you to be blessed. I'm not here to argue with you about it. My job is to teach the word, and then it's up to you to do the rest. You and the Holy Spirit, I don't even have to answer for you. I know what I've decided, and I'm not changing. I'm going to be a tither. I'm going to be a giver, and this is how we are, and this is how our church is going to be. Our church is going to tithe. Our church is going to give over and above. This is who we are. This is who we're going to be. 
So this is really just an invitation. And so every time we have the opportunity to give, it's the opportunity to bring something to worship God. It's not an opportunity for anything negative. It's an opportunity to bring worship to God. We see it again in the New Testament. Um, the very first church, Acts chapter 2, verse 45, way more than 10%. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave it all to anyone who had a need. That's all of it. That's not 10%. <laughs> that's everything. So you want to talk about New Testament giving, man, that's way more than 10%. How does that sound now? The 10% sounds good right now. You know, like, like whoa, whoa, whoa. But, and I'm not suggesting that we just sell everything and we just all live in tents together somewhere. Like, I'm not suggesting we need to have a compound. And no, 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 don't, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying, like, the heart of generosity is not just to skate by with the bare minimum or the least that I can do. The heart for generosity is when I see a need, I'm going to fill it because God has blessed me so much. I am blessed to be a blessing. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. That's the heart of who we are. Again, we see it, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and he says, Now about the collection, about giving for the Lord's people. Do what I told the other church, the Galatian church. So this is not just for us. This is not just for one church and for them and not for them. No, this is for the entire body of Christ. This is for everyone. He says, on the first day of the week, of every week, he says, on the first day of every week, that's Sunday, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, this is an interesting scripture because Paul's writing this to them while he's away. So he's saying, when I come, I'm not going to take up a love offering. I want you to just be ready to give. Every week, you just set it aside in proportion to your income. So God is not looking for all of us to give $1,000. Like, let's just put numbers on it. God, God, that's why God puts a percentage on it. Because some of us make $1,000, some of us make $10,000. Whatever it is, it's not equal gifts, but it's equal obedience. It's equal sacrifice. It's equal worship. And this scripture right here is one reason why my wife and I decided why every time we were in any church service, no matter where it was, we were going to give something. He says every, on the first day of the week, set aside something. I'm going to give something to the Lord. God commands us. He says, bring the whole tithe. Bring your offerings into the house so that his kingdom can advance on the earth, so that other people can experience the good news of Jesus. So why wouldn't we want to be part of what God is doing on this earth. We're talking about lifestyles of the blessed and generous. First one is they know who the owner is. Number two, God gets the first. Third one is they tithe. The last one is this. They, the blessed and the generous give over and above the tithe. And um, the Bible word for giving over and above the tithe is the word offering. It's an offering. And when you read scripture and study scripture, an offering uh, we decide what the amount of the offering is. It could be a dollar. It could be $500, whatever God puts on your heart. An offering is something that is given over and above the tithe. So when we talk about giving, we're talking about we've, given, we, we've returned our tithe, and now we're giving over and above our tithe. That is where giving comes in. There's two different things, returning and giving, right? We believe that the tithe belongs to God. I've heard it said this way. Giving often starts as an obedient step of faith before it blossoms into joyful love over time. It always starts as a step of faith, to be able to return the tithe and then to be able to give. It's a step of faith. But the more that you do it, it turns into joy. It turns into love. It turns into excitement because you see what happens on the other side. Not only does it affect your life, not only does God bless you, not only does it allow the gospel to go forth and be preached and see people healed, see people delivered, see people set free, but man, there's also a heavenly account. There's a story in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus is watching the offering. Did you know Jesus watches the offering? He's sitting there watching, and it says he's watching what people gave because it begins to describe what they gave. The religious, the hypocrites came in and gave big gifts. Oh, see how much I'm giving and all this stuff. And then he's, it says a poor widow woman came in, and she had two mites. Hopefully they weren't termites. That's funny right there. I don't care what y'all say. She brought two little coins, two little pennies, and put them in. Jesus calls his disciples over. Guys, come here. Come here. Watch this woman as she gives. That's, that's an uncomfortable thing to think about, isn't it? That Jesus calling his disciples to watch this woman give and to see how much she gave because we want to be so private about it. And it's not, 
Don't misunderstand. It's not to make it a show. It's not to say, see how good or spiritual or whatever I am. But leading the way with generosity, like, it's okay that people know that you are a giver. It's okay if your children know what some of those numbers look like because one day it's going to be them. And if you don't teach them, Disney will teach them what to do with their money. Apple will teach them what to do with their money. The government will, like, there will be plenty of opportunities. We've got to teach people God's way about money. So Jesus says, come here, guys. Come look, watch this woman. This is what Jesus is doing. Say, guys, this woman gave more than everybody else. Jesus. I'm going to get you some glasses, boy. Did you see she gave two little pennies and you saw how much the other people gave? Jesus said, no, you're only seeing with these eyes. They gave out of the abundance. They didn't, they have plenty. It didn't cost them anything to give. They're not even going to think about it. But this woman gave everything she had to live on. See, there's something about the spirit of generosity that gets the attention of God. There's something about that moves heaven when we begin to live this life of generosity. So come on, let's get on our feet today. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.